0: All right, John chapter number 15, John 15. Everybody having a good day? How many of you had a bad day today? How many of you would like to do the day over? How many of you are mad at the person you're sitting next to? Yeah, be honest. If they raise their hand, the person they raise their hand about, pinch the person next to you, wake them up. So, all right, how many of you had a great day today? Good. All right. How many of you are awake tonight? All right. How many of you are glad to be in the house of the Lord? Good. How many of you are glad that Jesus loves you? Isn't that a wonderful thing? That's a wonderful thing. All right. We're going to talk more this evening. We're going to um, just continue our our conversation that we've had the last couple of weeks on the gospel. You know, a lot of times we as, we as Christians, we, um, we're, we're saved and then we, we kind of move past the gospel when, when it's the gospel that... Um, it saves us and sustains us and gives us victory. And we're going to talk a little bit more about some things concerning the gospel here this evening. In John chapter 15, and verse number 4, um, Jesus is speaking, and he says this, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. Jesus is saying abide in in me, turn with me if you would to First John chapter number two. First John, chapter number two. First John two, New Testament, right? Anybody looking in the Old Testament? All right, New Testament, First John, chapter number two. How I many of you love babies? Don't you love babies? Babies are good. We like babies. You. Keep the baby right Look how big that baby's getting, huh? I was just wasting time to get you to First John. All right, First John chapter two, verse number twenty-eight. And now, little children. Now, John's not speaking to the children's ministry. Right? He's speaking to adults um, as he's writing this. And this is not. He's not putting down adults by calling them little children. It, he's speaking to them as God's children. Um, uh, Now, little children, abide in him. Abide in who? Who's he speaking of? Abiding in who? Christ. Abide in Christ. Abide in him. And that when he shall appear, speaking of Jesus, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I would believe this. I would hope this to be true, that we all know Jesus is coming again. Would you agree with that? He's coming again. There's going to be a trump that's going to sound and the dead. the Bible says that the dead is going to rise, they're going to rise, those that know Christ, and then we which are alive remain are going to be caught up in the clouds with Him. And we're going to then start the rapture of the church. Um, there's going to be a judgment seat of Christ for believers, and when we stand at that judgment seat of Christ, the goal, the desire of each Christian ought to be to hear what "Well done, thou good and faithful servant." Right? There's going to be a judgment seat, and and John is speaking of that as we stand before him. He's saying, "Abide in him, and we're gonna when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming." And so each Christian ought to live a life so that we are found pleasing to the Lord at the, at the coming of the Lord as we stand before Him. And there's going to be crowns that we're going to lay back at the feet of Jesus. And, and what, a, what a wonderful time. And I, I want to think about that time this evening as a positive time. It's a time where we're going to rejoice and we're going to truly understand exactly what Jesus Christ did for us, that He loved us. and. Really, truly understand the price that Christ paid upon the cross, and what we get because of that price that He paid. And what we'll find throughout the the New Testament, and and um, uh, Paul, and we find with John, and even Jesus says, "Abide, abide in Him." And so, I want to I want to think about that that theme this evening as we discuss. And we're going to be in several different passages of Scripture tonight as well. Um, but I, I, I want us to. Um, think about the, the day that we were saved, the gospel, the, when we heard the gospel. How many of you, you were saved the first time you heard the gospel message? The first time you ever heard it, you trusted Christ? How many of you, it was several times that you heard the gospel presented to you before you trusted Christ? Okay, those that didn't raise your hand, how many of you didn't trust Christ? I mean, <laughs> you either heard it the first time, accepted him the first time, or after multiple times, it was... There was no other question. It was either the one or the two, all right? Either you trusted him when you first heard him or you, it took several times. And in Christ, think about this statement. In Christ, there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. Do you realize this? God loves you as much as he's going to love you right now. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. Think about that thought. And the reason why is because of Christ. We're we're found in him. And so when he sees us, who does he see? Christ. And so there's, there's nothing in Christ. Those that are saved, there's nothing I can do to make him love me more. And there's nothing I can do to make God love me any less. But this is, the, this is the problem with human nature, and this is where we would, we would see the gospel and the truth of the gospel in maybe what religion teaches or our hearts teach us, and, and our hearts can deceive us with this. Our hearts, they're constantly telling us this, that we, what we do determines how much God loves us and how much God accepts us. It's human nature to think that way. How I behave So God's going to accept me or love me based upon what I do. And the reality is this. The gospel says this. God loves you because of what Jesus Christ has already done. And and, and he's not going through each day loving you more or loving you less depending upon who you are. He loves you based upon who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. And God's love, it's a gift. John 3.16 tells us it's a gift that that gift is the gift of Christ. And because of that gift, we're loved by God. Uh, j- just as we get into this thought this evening, that, that passage uh, of abiding in him, but as I think about that thought of you are loved by God, isn't that a wonderful thought? You're loved by God. Because there's a, you know, there's a lot of people that go through the world, uh, life, and... and they don't experience love from people they're supposed to experience it from. But with God, every single person is important, and he loves you. And, and 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 not because of what you can do for him. He loves you in spite of what you can do for him. You ever have good days and bad days? Are there days you feel like, you know, and I don't mean this in a prideful way, but you feel like you're a better human being today than maybe another day. You know, you just feel like everything I do, I I, I mess up at. Everything I do, I fail at. You ever make anybody upset with you? Anybody? I'm asking these questions. Cause I want you to stay awake. Uh, yeah, we we make people upset. You, you, you know, you go home at night and you think, man, I just really messed up. I I did this, I did that. And, and 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 you might even wonder in your mind, do they still care about me? Do they still love me? Do they still accept me? You realize with God we don't have to worry about that. And that doesn't give us a license. And Paul says, God forbid, about giving us a license to sin. That doesn't give us a reason, well, I can live however I want to live, God's gonna love me the same. Because he loves us the way he does us, ought to give us a desire to serve him. But we don't serve him. We've talked about this last couple weeks. We don't serve him for acceptance from him. He accepts you because of Christ. And so we 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 do though we have to every day allow the gospel to refresh us. Don't don't well I'm saved and so the gospel I, that. The gospel, all right, I did that, and so now I'm, I'm on this track to be a, a Christian. The gospel, the gospel, not that we get saved every day, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. What I'm saying, though, is the gospel, the truth of the gospel, it ought to refresh us. It ought to correct our human thinking. It ought to, it ought to correct our old uh, uh, religious habits. God's love for us isn't based on how we live or what we've done. His love for us is given to us because of the perfect righteousness of Christ. That ought to refresh us every day. Because you know what the reality is? There's some days I'm going to fail. There's some days that I'm going to sin. There's some days because I'm still human. How many of you are still human? I right, just ask you, I want you to stay awake. That's why I'm asking these questions. We're all human. And there's days that there's going to be days that in, in, in our human thinking, there's going to be days that we are more lovable or uh, uh, more accepted than others. Right? but the gospel ought to refresh us every day. It ought to correct that. It ought to correct our, the difference between religion in our life and the gospel in our life. In understanding this gospel truth, it produces freedom. It produces freedom, and it's a desire then in me to seek God and to live for him. Because of what the gospel does for me, that gives me the desire to seek God, to live for God. Not because I'm afraid that he won't accept me if I don't. I don't serve him because I want him to love me. Do you realize that he loves me in spite of me serving him? Because he loves me because of Christ. But because he loves me and and the gospel refreshes me and, and, and puts things in perspective in my life, Therefore, I want to serve him, or I ought to want to serve him. And that's what the, that's what the gospel does. But, but this evening, I want to remind you, and, and I, I hope you get this, because I want to encourage you with this tonight. Satan loves to remind us of our sins. Satan, the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren, right? Revelation, if you, if you want to get there, if you can get there quickly, we're not far from Revelation chapter number 12, there's a portion of scripture that I think that you ought to remind yourself of, and, and that is this: that Satan, the gospel it 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 saves us. It's, the gospel is Christ's love to us. The gospel is not a religious experience. God loves us because of the righteousness of Christ. Satan, though, loves to remind you of your sin. How, how many of you you've ever Satan's ever reminded you of how bad you are? Yeah, isn't he good at it? He knows when to do it. He knows how to do it. He knows exactly how to do it to you. So because he's the accuser of the, he makes you feel like you can never live up to this. He 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 many, many, many adults after their salvation, many times because of of this these accusations that Satan can throw at you, sometimes people even doubt, maybe I'm not really saved. And and I want you to see in Revelation chapter 12, verse number uh, 10, the Bible says this, and, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation. Salvation has come. How does salvation come? There's only one way. Through who? Through Jesus Christ. Now has salvation come in strength, in the kingdom of our God, in the power of his Christ. For the accuser, that's Satan, the accuser of the brethren, is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. You know what Satan does according to Revelation? Day and night, he's constantly accusing you. He's saying that, that Christ isn't sufficient enough. Do you, do you know what, what uh, uh, Scott does? Do you know what he thinks? Do you know what, he, what, 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 he, what he's involved in? And, and we've got, constantly had this accuser. And, and if we're not careful and we listen to him, we can then get into a place where we think that we're not acceptable to God. Satan starts with what you've done, and then he tears you down with who you are. He starts with what you've done, and then he tears you down. And listen to me, that's the ploy of Satan. He, he gets you to a place where you feel worthless he he maximizes all of your failures and he brings those out he accuses you and he brings you to a place where you feel worthless and and insecure and, and 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 I don't even know why God would trust me with this you know as a dad, why would God trust me with five children because i'm a I'm a failure of a father right and 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 in in every area i, I He's always looking to accuse you. He's always looking to tear you down. He's always looking to to always give you, listen, this is what you've done. How can God love you when you've done this? I won't ask you because you're all awake. But in your heart, you ever feel that? He always points out the worst. But you've got to remember that Christ loved you at that worst. And the worst that Satan always points out was nailed to the cross and was forgiven at the cross. Christ took that sin and he paid that sin debt. And when we abide or remain in Christ or once we're saved, we are found in Christ. Uh, The book of Romans tells us this, that when God sees us, he doesn't see you at your failure. He doesn't see you at your worst. He doesn't see you at the accusations that Satan constantly throws at you. What he sees you is he sees you in Christ. It's a wonderful thing. And so Satan starts with what you've done, and then he tears you down because of who you are. In, in contrast, though, this happens. The day that you get saved, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. And, you know, I, I believe this in, in a lot of our churches. We, 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 we don't speak enough of the Holy Spirit. For whatever reason, and I don't know if it's because he's difficult at maybe times really to understand or, or, or um, I, I, I don't know, but we, we're filled with the Spirit of God. He's there to comfort us and guide us and convict us and lead us. He's there that we can commune and listen to his voice. And, you know, as we read the word of God, the Holy Spirit works inside of our heart. He was left for our benefit after Christ ascended into heaven. He said the, the, the comforter, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And, and 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 so Satan accuses us, in contrast, the Holy Spirit, he starts with what God will um God has, has made us in Christ, and then he calls us into what what God uh, uh calls us to or 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 what we can become because of Christ. So Satan beats us up, or the Holy Spirit, he builds you up. So Satan says, you're a a wicked, no good sinner, and why would God love you? And the Holy Spirit says, you are a child of God, and you are in Christ, and God loves you. And, 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 And I guess you could use this word, the Holy Spirit, then helps us reach our potential in Christ, where Satan tears you down because of who you are. And that Holy Spirit is the one that we ought to commune with. And because of the gospel, we have the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. You realize there's no other way to have the Holy Spirit in us other than through the gospel, because of the gospel. When a person trusts Christ as their Savior, that moment, the Holy Spirit of God, dwells inside of us. And and this ought to be, for the believer, this ought to be a refreshing thought. Because your stature before God is not dependent upon what you've done, but it's a gift dependent upon the work of the cross. That thought there ought to encourage the most discouraged Christian. Because it's not dependent upon what you've done, it's dependent upon the work of the cross. Because you know what we come to when we if 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 we we face reality, you know what we come to? I can't live this life. I'm not good enough. You You know what I am at best? A sinner. You know what you are at best? A sinner. But because of the cross, because of the cross, because we, God doesn't see us in that. He sees us uh, because of the work that was done upon the cross. Turn with me to John 19:30, if you would please. John 19:30. And Jesus, the Bible says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said what? John 19.30. What did Jesus say? As soon as you get there, someone tell me, when Jesus received the vinegar, what did he say? It is finished. What does he mean by that? There's nothing left to do. This ought to refresh us each, each day as we think about salvation and think about the cross. You know what this verse ought to do? It reminds you on a daily basis there's nothing left to do. Everything that was needed for God to see you in, 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 in the righteousness of Christ was done upon the cross. And so it's not dependent upon me, my religion, my, 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 my actions. He loves me because of what Christ did upon the cross. And so the Bible says, when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And I, and I love this last part of the verse, and he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. You know what that tells us? No one took his life. He freely gave it. He gave it for you. No one took this. This is not something that Christ was forced to do. This was something that Christ willingly did. He gave his life. And, and so with all that being said, just by way of introduction, what, what then have we learned over the last couple of weeks? We learned this. And I want, you to, I want you to recall these things in your mind. If you missed the last couple of weeks, then, then uh, uh, let, me, let me bring these to your thoughts here. Religion focuses on the what? Somebody that was here. What does religion focus on? the external, the outward, right? Where the gospel focuses on what? The heart, right? Did I wake you up? The religion focuses on the external. And I think I broke it. In um, the gospel, focuses on the heart. With religion, mark this in your heart, with religion, we obey to get something from God, right? So in re- with religion, I do this so I find favor with God. I do this so God will love me. I do this so that I can get something from God. I do this so God sees me and He sees me and He's favorable for me. And if I, if I impress God and make God happy with me, then I'll get what God, what I want from God. That's religion. The gospel changes us so that we, we obey because we love God, not to get something from God. We, we, we learn this with religion. We change to earn the approval of God. In the gospel, we change because we have the approval of God. Right? Religion, you change to earn something. I want to make God happy, so therefore I'm changing so that He's happy with me. The gospel, the gospel we we change because of the approval of God. In John 15, verse number 10. Just write this down. Let me me read it for you. The Bible says this: if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Jesus speaking, if you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We find there again this this thought of abiding, abiding in his love. Jesus saying, keep my commandments, abide in my love. And so we realize the difference. We've looked the last couple weeks, the difference between religion and the difference between the gospel. And, and, And we as believers should should every day saturate ourselves. And this is why it's so important for us as believers to saturate ourselves with the truth of the gospel. And what I mean by that is this. I think that we ought to remind ourselves who I am in Christ. You've got Satan that's constantly beating you up. You've got Satan that's constantly accusing you. You've got Satan. If he can't have your soul, he wants to mess with your life so that you become nothing in in service to the Lord. Right? He wants to defeat you. And so what does the gospel do? We remind, we saturate ourselves with the truth of the gospel. Who am I in Christ? What would the answer be? Who am I in Christ? I'm accepted by God. That's who I am in Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm righteous, I'm accepted by God because of who I am in Christ. We ought to continue to remind ourselves this, how God sees me. Do you ever see yourself in a negative way? You know what the gospel reminds you? It reminds you how God sees you. The gospel, we ought to saturate ourselves with the truth of the gospel, what I am free from. I'm free from the bondage of sin. So many Christians live their life after they're saved. They live their life thinking that they're still in bondage to sin. I can't, I can't overcome this hurdle. I can't overcome this temptation. I'm gonna just, just going to give up and I'm going to live my life realizing this. This certain temptation or these temptations, I have no victory over. That You need to saturate your mind and your heart with the truth of the gospel. You know what that truth is? You are free from the bondage of sin because of what Christ did upon the cross. What I'm empowered to be. You know what the gospel does? It empowers you to be what God wants you to be. You can't live a victorious Christian life in your own flesh. You can't look at somebody else and say, "Boy, I wish I wish I had the victories that they had. I wonder what they're doing. Or they were just blessed better than I'm blessed. Or they're smarter or, or 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 it's none of that. You know, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to live the life that God desires for you to live. believe that? The gospel reminds me every day that God's righteousness is given to me as a gift because of what Christ did for me. Not not in relation to how uh, will I have performed for him. He did this Despite my performance. In Romans 5, 8, and probably many of you know what Romans 5, 8 says. It says this, but God commendeth his love toward us in that we were yet what? Christ died for us. You realize you were a sinner and Christ loved you and he died for you. So we find in 2 Corinthians 5.21, write this verse down. If you would please go back and study this verse. For he hath made him to be sin for what? For us. God made Christ to become sin for us. Who knew no sin? What does that mean? Christ who lived a sinless life, who never sinned, became sin for you. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. We're found in Christ. And I am so glad for that reason. We literally, we trade places with Christ, and so this is what happens. My record becomes his record, and his record becomes my record. Now, that ought to make you rejoice tonight. That ought, to, that ought not put you to sleep. You, your, your record is, I've, I'm a sinner I violated the law of God and I can't keep the law. I'm deserving of hell and death and separation from God. And Jesus Christ went to the cross and what he said is this, I didn't sin, but I'm going to take your sin upon you so that we're going to trade records so that, that when God sees you, he sees me. And the blood sacrifice that was made, that was an atonement for our sin debt. And God has made us completely perfect in Christ. Jude one one. Again, if you get there quick, turn there. If not, just write this down and go back and study this. Jude, Jude just one short chapter, he says in verse 1 of this chapter, I am preserved, guess what he says, in Christ Jesus. I'm preserved in Christ. Jesus Christ. 1 John 5.20, turn there with me. Some of you might be close to there. 1 John 5.20, I want you to see what this verse says. These are all speaking of you, the believer. Do you see constantly over and over, we're found in Christ, we're found in Christ, we're found in Christ. This is what the gospel, this is what the gospel does for us. In First John, John chapter five, verse number 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and it hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son Jesus, Christ. This is the true God in the eternal life. We are found once again, John tells us in him. In Romans 8:1. The Bible says this, there is therefore no condemnation to to them which are in Christ Jesus. You can't be condemned when you're found in Christ. Satan will try to. Satan will, he's the accuser of the brother and what he'll do is he'll try to condemn you but the reality is this, you can't be condemned when you are found in Christ. And so therefore because of this, we don't have to, Try to, once we're saved, earn favor with God. And so, therefore, there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ. I want you to think of this this passage of Scripture in John chapter 8. And Just again, I want you to mark that passage down. Go back and study that passage. You'll find there's a woman that was caught in adultery. And when they brought this woman before Jesus, he, he says what? The, he, the, that, those that are without sin throw the first stone. But what does he tell the, the lady, though? He says this, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I want you to think about how he spoke to that lady. He, he, he said, he didn't say, go and sin no more, and then I won't condemn you. It was the opposite. He says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. What he was saying is I accept you. And that's what the gospel, the gospel is what? God accepts you. It's a child of God. He, he, he receives you. He accepts you because of what Jesus Christ has done. It's acceptance first and now live in obedience afterwards. Religion says live in obedience, live in obedience, live in obedience. And, and if you do this enough, then God will eventually accept you. Salvation, the gospel says this, I accept you. Just like you are, I accept you. Now go and live in obedience. Because of God's acceptance, the gospel says you are accepted, therefore obey. Satan, though, does the opposite. And this is what I mean by that. He, Satan gets us to see what we've done, and, and he uses your record to for you to evaluate yourself. And this, one of two things can happen. Number one is this. What happens with that is we're either puffed up or prideful because of who we are, or we are torn down and rejected because of who we are. And that's what religion will do. Religion will puff you up, right? Sunday night, we looked at what the Pharisees the Pharisees and the scribes and the high priests, you know, they come to Jesus and they, they're full of religion. And you know what? They're just, they're just proud. They're puffed up because of what I do. And, you know, there, there are a lot of religious people out there that, that because of the religion, because of what they do, they, they, they're puffed up. They're proud because of what they've accomplished, what I've done for others and what I've accomplished. And because of all of those things, then God is going to accept me. I was I was at lunch with uh, someone in our church this past week, and 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 witnessing to the the, the lady that was um, there at our table, and and asked the question to her. So if you if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? And she says, "I heaven, I hope." And I said, "You know, it's it's you can always if somebody's saved, they have the answer. I'm in Christ." If someone's religious, they have this answer, well, heaven, I hope. And I said, well, what do you base that upon? And then you get into all the things, and this woman was a good woman. And I said, what if I told you that everything you just said, God's going to say, that's nothing. It means nothing to me. And she was offended at that statement. She said, well, why would God look at all this that I've done and say it's not enough? I said, he's going to say it's not enough because Christ did what was necessary. And in her mind, she just couldn't understand Christ is sufficient and nothing more or me doing all the work that was necessary. And it was offensive to her to think that all the good that she has done Because she was priding herself in everything that she's done. She was telling me the people she helps or is going to help and how she takes her kids to, to, they're going to get toys and and do these things for other people this time of year. And I said, Those are all good things and they're going to bless the person. But if that's what you're depending on getting to heaven, you know what? You can't give enough toys, you can't give enough money, you can't do enough works. Because when God sees you, if he's left just to see you in your works, you know what he sees? He sees sin. He sees pride. The opposite could be true as well. Satan can get you to a place where he beats you up. It's not that that what you do puffs you up. It's what you do tears you down. And you walk around just miserable thinking that you're nothing and and hopeless and and in despair and that nobody will love you and and there's no sense. I've talked to people. I've witnessed to people. You know what they've said? God could never love me because of what I've done. You know, and that's what religion says. You're too bad of a person. Right, Because of what you've done or your parents have done or your family name or because something you did as a child. And and because of that, Satan says he accuses you of that and says you can't be saved because of what you've done. And he tears you down for what you've done. So he puffs you up. But you know what the reality is? Either way, whether he puffs you up or he tears you down, either way, what you're looking at is religion, not the gospel. Because what the gospel says is this, it doesn't matter how much you've done, Jesus Christ has paid the price. We look to him. The gospel says this, I don't care how bad you've done, Jesus Christ has paid the price, we look to him. And look at who I am, or look, I'm no good. And the gospel says Don't look to you. Look to Christ. Satan's primary strategy, and hear me tonight, because I think this discourages a lot of people, and a lot of Christians sit in discouragement because of Satan's primary strategy, and it's to get you to forget your identity in Christ. He can't take your identity in Christ. But if you live your life, and he can get you to forget, and you start living... Christians live defeated attitudes sometimes, defeated spirits. I've done this, and so you know what? It's just I'm a complete failure because I just can't get over this, and so you know what? I'm just going to give up. Or I try really, really hard. I, I'm weak. I can't overcome this, and so I leave a, leave a defeated life. Trust me, this happens. Instead of a child of God living in the strength of the power of the gospel, there are many children of God that are living defeated lives because they feel I'm weak, I can't overcome this, so therefore, I just don't know if God loves me and cares for me. Th- there's Christians, and in in, 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 listen to me tonight, this is his primary way of attacking you, is to get you... To forget your identity in Christ. I'm no good. I can't be loved. There's people that think this. I'm, I'm, I'm no good. I can't be loved. Why would anybody love a mess like me? It's what Satan wants you to feel. And then you, as a Christian, you're living a life where you feel God doesn't even love me. Why would he love me? I fail every day. I make, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I won't ask you to raise your hand because everyone's awake. But listen, how many of you in your heart, you answer this. How many of you have felt, you know, I'm a mess. I'm, I'm a mess in this area. Why would God love a mess? Because of Christ. Because of Christ. He doesn't see you as a mess. He sees you in Christ. There's Satan's primary strategy. It's to get you to forget your identity in Christ. And so what happens? I'm hopeless. I can't have victory. There's many Christians that just listen. They, they go through the motions of life. And in their heart, they say this. I can't have victory. I'm hopeless. I try. I try. I try. I'm good for a few days. And then, and then I slide back. Or I'm good for a few weeks. Or I'm good for a few months. Or I've even had a time in my life where it was a couple years. But it's hopeless. Why would God love, why would God give me any attention? Why would God care about a hopeless mess like me? You know why he does? Because he doesn't see a hopeless mess, he sees you in Christ. And that's why he loves you. And that then ought to encourage the believer. Satan says, You're nothing. The truth is this: the gospel says you're found in Christ. And let me ask you this this evening: where would be a better place for you to be found than other than in Christ? What's a better place to be? What, what, what's a what's a more a place of more peace that you could find yourself than other than in Christ? What's a place that you could find of more comfort or more safety? What what could be a better place for any person than being found in Christ? And when God sees you, he sees his son Christ and he accepts you and he redeems you and he, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he looks for that time where eternity will be with him forever. That's what he sees when he sees you. Satan says you're a mess, you're hopeless, there's no victory. And then you know what? At times we're not careful, Christian, we live right there. And that's how we view life. And everything that comes our way is hopeless. Everything that comes our way, we're weak. Everything that comes our way, we can't be loved. And that's how we live a life. That's not the the design that God has for the Christian. That's not how you have to live. That's not how God desires you to live. He desires you to live a victorious life in Christ. First John 4:4 4, 4 says this. Mark this down, please. First John 4:4, 4, 4. "Ye are of God." That right there ought to make you shout. Somebody. All right. Good. Ye are of God. Listen, those that are struggling tonight with your identity or those that Satan is just beating you up or, or mom, right now you say, boy, I, I can't be the mom. I, I, I just feel like I'm a mess. You know, or dad, I just feel like I'm a mess. Or husband or wife, I, I just can't. Satan just keeps accusing you. Listen to me. You know what the Bible says right there? Ye are of God. That's what, who you belong to. Satan's not going to tell you that. He's going to tell you all of your weaknesses. You know what God says? You're not weak. You're found in me. Found in Christ. He says this, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because... Uh, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What is inside of you is greater than any pressure this world can give you. What's inside of you is greater than any accusation that Satan could, upon, could have put upon you. What is inside of you, what dwells inside of you, is greater than any problem this world can give you. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That right there is how the Christian ought to live because of the gospel. So what problems come? Let, let them come. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can overcome whatever comes my way. I can overcome the accusations of Satan. I can overcome the pressures of this world. I can overcome the temptations of the flesh. I can overcome those things. Not because I'm doing good and God's going to show me favor if I do enough good. Or not because I'm, I, I, I'm going to find favor in him. But because of how he sees me in Christ, I can overcome. Isn't that good? Well, I don't know. When I was studying this, it sounded really, really good. (laughs) Maybe I just needed it. Because constantly attacks of Satan. Scott, you're not good enough. And you know what will happen? You'll believe it. When you're not good enough, you know what will happen? You'll start believing it. Because Satan will throw everything. Mary, he'll throw everything your way. You know what God says? You're mine. You're of God. I, I, I love to read, and, and my kids, when they're younger, they like to read, and they get older, they don't. But they like to read because I like to read. And so my, my couple younger, the two younger ones, we went to the bookstore today, and I picked them up some some books to read. And we were driving home, and they're reading them in the car. Now, I can't read in the car because I'll... I'll Need a barf bag if I start reading in the car, but the younger ones—they're reading in the car. And I said to the to my, one of my daughters, I said, "You love to read, don't you?" And you know what her answer was? Yeah. Look who's my dad. I said, "Well, you are my daughter, aren't you?" You love to eat too. <laughs> Let's go get a burger. Her answer was, well, that's because I'm your daughter is what she was saying. I like what you like because of who I belong to. And I thought, what a perfect illustration for tonight. Thank you, Lord. I'm glad I went to Barnes and Nobles today. Ye are of God. You have overcome because greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. You belong to God. Is that encouraging to you? Like, who is better out there that you could say I belong to? I'm God's. He loves me. He accepts me. That's what the gospel has done for me. Satan tempted Jesus three times. If you were to go and study in the the wilderness, remember, he tempts him three times. You realize this, two out of three times he said, if you are the Son of God. Two out of the three times he says, if you're the Son of God. You know what he was trying to get Jesus to do? Forget who his identity is in. Listen, Satan was attacking what the Father declared at the baptism. Remember just one chapter of previously, you know what uh, God said? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. What did Satan attack? God already settled it. And Satan's attacking what the Father declared in Matthew chapter number 3. This is my beloved son. God already said it. You know what God says of you? You belong to Him. Satan's going to attack it. His goal is to get you to not believe it or forget it or or, uh, uh, think that you're not worthy of it. The Gospel says, I belong to God. I have power in Him. I have strength in Him. I have victory in Him. I belong to God. He doesn't see me for my mess that I am. He doesn't see me for my sin. He sees He's me in Christ. He has accepted me, and Satan wants you to forget your identity. That's what he did to Christ. Satan uses this against us, questioning our identity in Christ. And when Satan when Satan wins, hear me on this, please. When Satan wins at this strategy, we lose the security and the satisfaction we have in the loving um, approval of a heavenly Father. And then, what happens when that takes place? When this happens this becomes the gateway that's opened up for all other temptations in our life. Why? Because when we lose our security in the gospel, we begin to become hungry for idols that replace God. I hope you got that. If he can get you to the place where you forget your identity, it opens up a gateway to all the other temptations in life. It causes you to go after other idols because you've lost your security in who you are. Listen, I don't have to, when I know who I am in Christ, and I know I'm accepted with God, I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to work to, be, to satisfy. I don't have to work to impress. But when you lose that security, you know what you have to have? You have to be loved. You have to be accepted. You have to do something to feel worth. And so instead of finding it in Christ and in what he did on the cross, we try to find it then in things that please us in this world. And listen, when you start chasing those things, it's a never-ending chase. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know this evening, but you'll never find that satisfaction in the world that you find in Christ. And Satan starts with what? He starts with what you've done. He tears you down. The Holy Spirit declares what you are in Christ, and he builds you up into what God wants you to be. I want you to think, I said this in the beginning, I want you to really think about this as we close. God could not love you more than he does right now. And God can't love you less than he does right now. Think about that thought, please. Because what happens is this: we are discouragement. We get discouraged. We become shameful of things. We we doubt our salvation because we struggle with sin. I don't know if God loves me like He used to. He has love hasn't changed, and it will never change. Well, how we are to abide in Christ's love. I close with this statement, and please hear this. Those people who bear the most spiritual fruit are those who know that God's love for them is not dependent on their bearing of spiritual fruit. Did you get that? Let Let me repeat this. Those who bear the most spiritual fruit are those who know that God's love for them is not dependent on their bearing of spiritual fruit. Does that make sense? I don't bear fruit because I want him to accept me. He accepts me, and so I bear fruit. I don't tell others of Christ because I hope he'll save me. He saves me, I tell others of Christ. I don't live a life desiring to live a victorious Christian life, hoping that he finds favor in me, And therefore, I live a great fruit-bearing life because I'm afraid. I desire him to love me. He loves me. I accept that. And therefore, I live a victorious Christian life bearing fruit. Does that make sense? Let me read this again. Those people who bear the most spiritual fruit are those who know that God's love for them is not dependent on their bearing of spiritual fruit. He loves me. What does salvation guarantee? It guarantees his love for me. And our abiding in his love is what produces that fruit in us. My question this evening to us, are you abiding in him? Is that where you're finding your identity? Or Satan got you to the place where he's messed... we, we, We can get our identity in so many places, Right? I can find my identity as a as a as a dad, and then if my kids do something to dis- disappoint me, I failed. I, I can find my identity in, in being a husband, and if if that relationship goes south, I failed. I, I can find myself an in identity in a pastor, but boy, if 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 somebody else has a bigger church and than than, than, than I pastor, then uh, boy, I, I failed. I can, I, can, I can find my identity in my job, and if I lose my job, I, I, I fail. I can find my identity in a talent or something I have, and, and, and when that leaves, guess what happens? I'm a failure, and that's exactly where Satan wants you to be. But when you see yourself in Christ, I belong to God greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can endure anything that this world, this life throws at me. Why? Because my identity is in Christ. Now I'm not living trying to make God happy with me. I'm not living hoping he's pleased with me. I'm living knowing who I am in him, and I'm bearing fruit because of that. Does that make sense? How are you living? Are you abiding in him? What is the gospel doing to you today? Yes, it saved you. It gave you eternal life. But is it refreshing you and renewing you? Is it, are you letting the gospel fight off the accuser of the brethren? The gospel says I'm in Christ. Are you letting that speak for you? Father, help us, I pray. Lord, tonight.